time of storm. Secure whatever will be tied, shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of Shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no foes of right. Shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land. <coughs> a shelter in the time of storm. time of storm. We'll never leave our safe retreat, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary <coughs> in a weary land, a shelter in the time of Divine, our refuge, dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper ever near, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a time of storm. Amen. All right, I was um, actually thinking of uh, uh, Pastor Casey a little bit ago, and one of his favorite things was, let's shake hands. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's turn around wave everybody, welcome each other to the service. All right. On page uh, 272, Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fills his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Yeah. 
coming flood When all around my soul gives way Hidden is all my hope and stay On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand When he shall come with trumpet sound Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you will, turn to the book of Mark, chapter number 8. And while you're turning, I uh, got a uh, notice here that there is going to be uh, a ladies' fellowship on Saturday, October the 17th for all the ladies. And uh, this is going to be at Miss Evelyn's house. Uh, it says, Food, Fellowship, and Fun. Those are the three F's of fundamentalism. And... Uh, <laughs> Food, fun, and fellowship. Uh, says a great time will be had by all at Miss Evelyn's. And uh, if you need the address, I think Miss Penny is handing out little papers. You'll have the address there if you need directions. says you are welcome to bring friends. I'm thankful for that because it says that she needs to know who's coming so she can plan for the food. That means pastor will be there. And... Um, I'm glad that you're allowed to bring friends. I hope I'll be somebody's friend that day and uh, be there. So uh, anyway, ladies, uh, you'll have a great time with that. And uh, Miss, uh, Miss Penny had talked with me about that a week or so ago and looking forward to it. I think it would be a great time of fellowship for our ladies. I told somebody I was talking to them this week, I said, really, I think really all it is is expanding the, the ladies' lunch table time that they have downstairs. <laughs> I think that's really what it is, but... Uh, but y'all will have a great time, I'm sure, and look forward to it. And uh, go ahead and plan on being there if you're able to. That will be Saturday, October the 17th. All right, Mark chapter number 8. <clears throat> Mark chapter number 8 and verse number 21. Mark chapter 8, verse number 21. Jesus is speaking here, and the Bible says, And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning, that it will be a help to us. And, Lord, we do not want to just come this morning and pass the time by having a service or going through the motions of our Christian duty. Father, we came this morning because we need to hear something from your Word. We need your Holy Spirit to uh, guide us and to direct us. And I pray that you would help us each of us sitting here today, to begin now by saying, Lord, we 
want your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, that if you'll show us your truth, that our decision will already be that we will walk in it, that we'll do what you've asked us to do. Lord, draw us closer to you. I pray that you'll help us and aid us in the preaching. Lord, it matters very little what I think or what I say, but it matters a great deal what your Holy Spirit and what your Word will do in our hearts. It's the only thing that can transform us into what you want us to be. And so, Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find the Lord Jesus Christ here is dealing with his disciples. If you take a few moments this afternoon, perhaps you'll read earlier in chapter number 8, you'll find that Jesus has just gone through several miracles of healing a deaf person and a dumb person and making the blind to see and all of these different miracles that he's performing here. And he has a multitude that is following with him. And at least for the second time in Scripture, we find that they are without food. You'd have thought the first time they were without food in a multitude. The, de- the uh, deacons, I mean, excuse me, the disciples <laughs> would have known uh, to go ahead and be prepared for that and have everything ready. Uh, but uh, they find themselves without food again. And uh, the Lord Jesus uh, is dealing with his disciples. And he says in verse number, let's back up to verse 14. I want you to see this real quick. Now the disciples had forgotten to take the bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. So uh, he feeds 4,000 at this point, just before verse 14, and uh, they take up seven baskets full when they're done. And then he sends his disciples across the sea, and they only take one loaf of bread between the lot of them on the boat. And that's where we're at in verse number 14. And uh, the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they any in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread? And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, By reason, uh, why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, have your heart, have ye your heart hardened? Having eyes see ye not, having ears hear ye not, do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And then the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And he said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And so I want you to understand the context of what we're getting ready to deal with here in that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a spiritual lesson about being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And how that a little bit of leaven, just allowing a little bit of sin into the life, will corrupt the entire lump of bread. And the disciples thought he was speaking of physical bread. And they said, well, we only brought the one loaf, and and are you really upset about us for only uh, bringing the one loaf? And Jesus is saying, are you guys blind? Are you not watching what's going on here? He says, I've just healed some people. I've, I've been uh, performing miracles, and you've been with me. I've been teaching you these things. And he says, do you not understand yet? He says, have you not quite gotten it yet? And the truth of the matter is, the disciples were still struggling with some things, weren't they? And so he comes to Bethsaida, and he finds this man who is blind. Now, I've often wondered as I read this passage why it was that the Lord touched him twice. Why didn't he just heal him? I, I think there's two things we need to understand at the onset of this particular story. The first thing is that Christ could have easily healed him the first time around, couldn't he? He certainly had that ability to do so. The second thing is that there must have been a reason why he had to do it twice, 
there must have been something that he was trying to get across to his disciples that his disciples could not quite understand. And he asked them this question. He says, how be it? In verse number 21, he says, he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? He said, these things are things that ought to be quite obvious. Have you ever been there before where you read Scripture and maybe it's a passage that you've struggled with for a long time and all of a sudden the light bulb clicks on and you're like, why didn't I see that before? It's, it's so clear now. I can see it right there in the pages of Scripture. And, and I want to take a few moments this morning to look at this passage and deal with the subject of being able to see, but see clearly. A lot of us have sight, but, but our vision is blurred sometimes. We, we come to some things of God and we don't quite fully understand some things. <clears throat> and I want us to look at some things that I think are, are shown here in this passage and other passages that we will look at that I think as Christians, as God's people, we need to come to God and say, God, help me to have clear vision on this. These are some areas that I think in the day that we live, if we're not careful, we will have some blurred vision on. The first one I think we find in verse number 21. The Bible says, and he saith unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Now, what is it that he does, they do not understand yet? Well, he's done some miracles. These disciples, every time the Lord speaks uh, in an analogy or some kind of a word picture, um, uh, trying to make some kind of a spiritual point, his disciples up to this point almost always mistake it for something literal, something that's, you know, he's just not, they're not grasping what he's trying to teach. Look down with me, if you will, to verse number, um, <clears throat> verse number 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Whom do, ye, whom do men say that I am? And he answered, and they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them they should tell no man. There was something that they were just starting to see. After all the time they had spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. After seeing the miracles. I don't know about you all, but the first time that he performed a miracle and I saw it, I'd probably sit up and take notice and think, boy, this, this must be the Son of God. But, you know, I'm probably a little too harsh on the disciples because I'm not there. They certainly were men of faith, weren't they? They were there alongside the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet all these things that he was showing them about who he was, they did not fully understand yet. And it is not until after the Lord chastens them here and asks them point blank, who do men say that I am, and then who do you think that I am? Can I tell you this, that one of the areas they needed their vision to be cleared up in is in the area of who God was, who the Lord Jesus Christ was. They needed to have a new view of who he was. And can I tell you this? We've talked about this many, many times in this church. That you and I oftentimes do not understand all of who God is. By the way, we'll never understand it fully till we get to heaven. But you know, the sad fact of the matter is, He takes so much of Scripture and reveals Himself to us, and yet we seem to not even understand those things. There are times that we come and we, we think, boy, I don't know if God can do this, or I don't know that God can do that. And how often, and if you think about it, every single time that we worry about something, every single time that we are anxious about something, that's telling God we do not understand who you are. Because if we understood who He was and the relationship that He had with us, we would not be anxious for these things and we would not worry for these things. 
Over and over and over again throughout the Bible, the, the Lord reveals Himself to us, the things that He wants us to know about Him. And can I tell you this, that one of the great travesties of the day that you and I live in is that we do not spend more time when we come to the Word of God looking for the God of the Word in it. To be able to find out from Scripture, what does this tell me about the God that I serve? I can learn an awful lot about God in Scripture if I'll just look for it. And yet we are so blinded sometimes. We can read through the, the, the Gospels and all of the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did on this earth, and then we begin to scratch our heads and wonder how we're going to be able to go through the next set of circumstances. Boy, I don't know if God can make it through this. And I know that a lot of times we don't ever say it this way, but by our actions, many times we portray it this way. And that is this. God, this is a really big one. Are you really sure you can handle this one? And we never would say such a thing. But how many times do our actions bewray it? How many times do the things that we do cause us to put God in a light of some God that is insignificant or weak or not able to perform? Can I tell you this? This man that Jesus touched, the Bible says in verse number 22, or verse number 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. When he had spit on his eyes and put hands on him, he asked him if he saw aught, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. His vision was blurred. He could not understand, even though he was seeing the things. By the way, when we got saved, God put the light of his glorious gospel in our hearts. The Holy Spirit came to indwell us. But can I tell you this? There still are things that are blurred to our eyes sometimes. There still are some things that we need to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to guide and teach me in these things. Lord, I need your direction as I come to your word to fully understand that concept of Scripture. We need our vision cleared. When it comes to the things of God, we need to see Him clearly. We need to come to God's word and say, Lord, what is it in this word that I, I, you have for me to see today? That will tell me a little bit more about you. By the way, can I tell you this? The more that we learn about our Savior, the more we love Him. You ever think about that? If you've ever dated somebody or married somebody, if you think back to the time that you very first were introduced to them, you didn't know much about them, but you were intrigued. You know where the love came from? Getting to know them more and more. And more. And the more that you learned about them, the more you learned that you loved them. And can I tell you this, that our love for God is directly related, related to the clear vision that we have of Him. As we come to God's Word, do we see God for who He really is? We find in verse number 21 that the Lord Jesus Christ was surprised that the disciples could spend so much time with Him and still not clearly see who He was. Hold your place here for just a moment. Turn with me and let's look at a few other Scriptures. In the book of Isaiah, I love this chapter, chapter number 6. To have a proper view of God, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain He covered His face. And with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other, another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Boy, you start reading as Isaiah describes the majesty of God on His throne. The, the seraphims that are there, that are flying around the throne, they cover their face in humility and they cover their feet in humility. These holy beings, these holy creatures that are flying around the throne of God in the presence of such great holiness of God sit and bow their faces and cover their faces or cover their feet as they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And then they go on to say that the whole earth is full of His glory. You know the Bible teaches us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The Bible talks about the fact that even nature itself beareth witness of the God that we serve. I was talking to Corey the other day, I think it was you, over at Brother Harold's house, and we were talking about this, about creation. Was that, was that you I was talking to about there? You were talking to me about it. How that God's creation is unbelievable. It's magnificent. And here's Corey. He's looking around. He sees nature. And he thinks, man, what a great God we have. Just the amazing thing of nature. The heavens that have been created. The fact that there's a holiness about Him that, that even the seraphims, these holy creatures, these holy beings, even in His presence, bow in reverence to God's holiness. The Bible says in verse 4, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. By the way, how in the world can we ever consider God to be the good old boy or the man upstairs? How can we ever relate to him and say, Well, he's, he's up there somewhere, and he's, he's watching out for me. Can I tell you this? He's a holy God. He's a God that demands reverence and deserves our respect and our fear of him. Look with me in Isaiah chapter number 9, if you will, verse number 6 as they were professing or giving prophecy of the Lord's birth. And they say in this, in verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. Can I tell you that we have a great God today, and it helps if we get a right vision of who He is. You know, Psalm 48 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy endureth. And we find in Psalm 23 that the Lord is our shepherd. You ever thought about that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. I love that part. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What a great God that we serve. All throughout Scripture we find the majesty and the glory of God. And yet, when we go through our day-by-day -day lives, are we enthralled by His magnificence and His glory? 
His majesty. We come to Philippians chapter number 2. And the Bible says this in verse number um, 5. He says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Can I tell you this? That verse of Scripture tells us that if there was ever a person alive on this earth that could ever claim to be equal with God and really do it justice, it's the Lord Jesus Christ because He was God in the flesh. He was the one who said it's not robbery to be equal with God. He could claim to be God because He was God. And yet, I want you to notice this. He says, but made, verse number 7, "...but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man." He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Can I tell you this? We as God's people need to come to God's Word. And we need to look for His majesty, His glory, His omnipotence, His omniscience, his, the fact that He is all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. That God is a merciful God. He's a just God. He's our fortress, the Bible says, and our high tower. What an amazing thought. By the way, He allows us to come to Him and say, My Father. Oh, what a thought. What a thought. And yet this is the God of the universe, the one who stepped out in the middle of nothing and spoke into existence everything that is. Can I tell you this? We need to have a clear vision of who God is. Oh, I know we know who He is. I know we put our faith in Him when we trust Him as our Savior. But do we really reflect on having a clear vision of who He is? We need to be able to see God clearly. Not just see Him like trees walking around, but to see Him clearly. I think secondly, we find in Mark chapter number 8, as we get down to verse number 27, the Bible says, And Jesus went out and His disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, He asked His disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men... Say that I am. Can I tell you this morning, that's a question to be asked today, isn't it? He's not saying you disciples. He's saying, who do men say that I am? Can I tell you this? We need to have a clear view of others. We need to have a clear view of this lost world. Those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the folks that were following them said, we believe him to be John the Baptist. Some of them said, we believe him to be Elias. They did not know that he was the Son of God. Look with me, if you will, in Revelation 21. Revelation chapter number 21 and verse number 8. The Bible says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And up until this point, we think, boy, that's a pretty pretty bad list. And then he says this, And all liars shall have their part 
in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Can I tell you, my friend, when people die without Christ, they do not know who He is. There is only one end for them. And can I tell you this? We need to pray that God gives us a clear vision of the lost. Do we truly understand the eternality of hell? Do we truly understand the torture and the torment of it? We need to have a clear vision. These disciples had been with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen His miracles. They were just barely beginning to grasp the understanding of who He was. Jesus asked them, says, outside of our group, what do you hear out there? What do people say about me? Who do people say that I am? Can I tell you, if the Lord Jesus Christ came to Keith Heights Baptist Church this morning and stood here and said, Who do you say that I am? We would all say, You're the Christ. But if He would come to us and say, Who does your neighbor say that I am? I wonder if we would be broken about the answer. Your acquaintance, your friends, who do they say that I am? We need to have a clear view of the lost. We need to see them the way that the Lord Jesus Christ sees them. You know, the Bible says that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look with me in Second Peter chapter number 3. Second Peter chapter number 3. Verse number 9. The Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could we have the same kind of view for the lost that the Lord Jesus Christ has? I'm not willing for any to perish. Ought to be the outlook of every Christian. To see a lost person and say, I'm not willing for them to perish. I want to do all that I can to keep them from that. I'm thankful that we have a church that is so concerned. And many of you, they're praying and witnessing and telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, our hearts break, don't they, sometimes? As we share the gospel, we watch as someone may reject it or choose not to take the Lord as their Savior. And yet our hearts are burdened. Where are the weeping altars? Where are the prayer closets that are stained with tears as we pray for those that are lost? We pray for God to give us opportunity to share the gospel with them. I love John 3.16. We know it by heart. But boy, what a beautiful verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder how often we reflect on that verse and think, boy, if if we could just show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they could just see it for what it is, they could take Him as their Savior. Here's a man who could see... He had sight, but he couldn't see clearly. 
I wonder in our lives, how many of us see, but we just don't see clearly when it comes to the lost? Can I tell you this? We need to see our sin clearly. Oh, this is one of those things that we don't like to talk about. I don't like to talk about it any more than you do. We don't like to talk about our sin. But we need to see our sin clearly. Look with me in verse number 15, Mark chapter 8. And He charged them, that's His disciples, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of the leaven of Herod. He says, beware of it. Don't get around it. Don't play with it. Don't have it as part of your life. He said, beware of this, allowing little things to come in. He goes on to make the statement that a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You know the problem that you and I battle? And it comes down to this. We start with little sins, what we consider little sins, don't we? We let them creep in and we say, I'm not going to deal with it because it's not a real big one. That one, that one's okay. God may not like it, but, but that's, that's, that's a small sin. And we excuse it, and we justify it, and we allow it to grow. And the next thing you know, we're allowing more sin and more sin. I shared years ago, I built a uh, flower bed in my yard down in Florida. And down there we get dollar weed. It's a little, looks like a little lily pad, about an inch and a half in diameter. It sticks up a couple inches, but it destroys your yard. I got done doing that uh, flower bed. We took all day on a Saturday to, to dig it up and get it all mulched and beautiful. and had plants in there. It was beautiful, beautiful. About a week or so later, I was coming home. I saw a little sprout of dollar. We just one, just a little one. And I thought, well, I better get that out Saturday when I mow. And got done mowing Saturday, and by then there was three or four of them that were sticking up. And I thought, well, I'm kind of tired. It got hot, and there's, you know, South Florida, you get done mowing, you're all dirty and sweaty and nasty, and you think, man, I don't want to go over there and pick that thing out of there, and so I let it go another week. And next thing I know, there's probably a dozen or a couple dozen of these little sprouts in there. After about two or three weeks of that, I, it got so bad, I was like, okay, I've got to get in there and do it. And I went to go take those things out, and I didn't realize at the time, and I began to pull those dollar weeds up, and they would shoot runners underneath the mulch, and they would sprout another one up. I began to pull one, and it began to rip my entire flower bed up. And by the time I was done, most of my plants had been destroyed by these dollar weeds, all because I let one little one take root, and I didn't deal with it. I've thought of that oftentimes. How susceptible we are to that. We let little things in our life, and we don't deal with them. Because we don't have a clear vision of our sin. We don't realize it. Look with me, if you will, in Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. Verse number 14. Paul writes this. Let's back up to verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Notice this. Nailing it to His cross. 
Can I tell you this? We need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded often, often, that our sin nailed our Savior to the cross of Calvary. Our sin was not a little one. Our sin cost the life of our precious Savior. It cost Him the suffering, the agony of a place called Calvary. In Romans chapter number 6, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Can I tell you this? We don't look at our sin the way we ought to. Two times in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof the ways of death. In Ephesians chapter number 2, if you'll take a moment, turn over there with me. Ephesians chapter number 2. Look with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened. Do you know what the word quickened means? It means to make alive. And you hath he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by children the nature of what? The nature of wrath. Can I tell you this? Our sin cost a horrible payment. And had it not been for the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I would have to pay that payment. Why is it then that we look at sin so carelessly and casually as to think that it is not that big of a deal? The Bible talks about Job as being an upright man the Bible uses this phrase, one that is skewed evil. Hated it, detested it. You know what a great mark of somebody who's truly saved is? When we sin, our conscience begins to prick our hearts. And we are mortified about it. Oh, I can't believe I just did that to my Savior. I cannot believe I just disappointed Him so. Oh, that we would learn to have a clear view of sin. And can I tell you, lastly, there, we need to have a clear view of the urgency of the hour. We need to have a clear view of the urgency of the hour. Look back in Mark chapter number 8 with me. Verse number 21, and the Bible says, And he said unto them, How is it that you do not understand? <coughs> Our Lord Jesus Christ had a little over three years to have a ministry to train some men to do His work in this world, to go out and train others. He had three and a half years with them. He gets through a portion of this training time, this time with the disciples. He has taught them things that as we look at Scripture, knowing what we know today, and we look at Scripture, a lot of the things that He taught His disciples were very clear to us, but we're not clear to them. And they looked at that, and, and Jesus is trying to teach them these things, and He's thinking, boy, how simple it is. Have you ever been this way? We, we, either you're a parent, or maybe you've tried to teach somebody something, and, and to you, in your mind, it makes perfect sense, and you try to teach them, and they just aren't getting it. You ever been there? Anybody ever been there, done that? Uh, wives to your husbands. Yeah, I see a lot of you wives poking your husbands. 
Do you know how frustrating it must be to God who has an infinite knowledge and wisdom and mindset to try to teach the frailty and the finite human mind concepts that we struggle to grasp? And yet he says, I still want you to learn it. Here he has just a limited amount of time and God knows, Christ knows he's limited in his time. He has a few, a few months of training and teaching his disciples and they are still not getting it. And he says, how is it that you don't understand these things? You've been with me long enough. You've seen these things. You've, you've, seen my te- you've heard my teachings. How do you not get it yet? You know what Jesus was trying to say to them? We've, we've got to get on with things. You, you guys are at a place where you should have already had this down and we should be on to other things. And by the way, throughout Scripture we find that principle being taught, isn't it? Paul teaches it. How that there are people who are on the milk of the Word still that should be on the meat of the Word by now. The book of Hebrews talks about people who ought to be teaching others about the, the oracles of God and they have need themselves to go back and be taught the first oracles, the first things about Christianity. Can I tell you this? There's a brevity of the life that we live. If somebody asks us how much time we have left, the answer to that would be not much. I don't care if you're 10 years old, 12 years old. Life, the Bible says, is a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. There's a lot of white heads in this room that know what I'm talking about. Where did the time go? You know, the Bible teaches us that we're to walk circumspectly. It means being aware, looking around, understanding the times. It says we're to be watching these things. And then it makes this statement, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You know, when Jesus was teaching His disciples, He said, Say not ye there yet four months to harvest. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Can I tell you, we need to have a clear view of the urgency of the hour that we live in. Do we wake up with eternity in view? I know how hard that is. I've been there. I was a young person once. Some of you say, well, you're still young, Pastor. The truth is, when we were really young, we couldn't, we couldn't even fathom being old or getting old. We, we couldn't imagine. Boy, life just seemed like it was going to be an eternity. And now we're on the back side of the hill, looking back and thinking, boy, I wish these young people would understand how brief and short life can be. And that if we're ever going to do something for God, let's not procrastinate. Let's not put it off. Let's do something for Him today. The urgency of the hour. Do we have clear vision? When we got saved, God brought the light of His glorious gospel into our hearts. But even as the disciples, oftentimes, there are things that the Lord wants us to see clearly that we just have blurred vision on. Should we not be praying and studying and seeking God, that we can have clear vision in these areas of our life.
Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, how wonderful it is, how it instructs us. And yet, Lord, we so neglect it. So often in our lives, we, we overlook these things. We don't see them the way that we ought. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to have a renewed zeal, a renewed commitment to pray, to study, to walk with you, to have a clear vision of who you are, that we would have a clear vision of the lost, that we would have a clear vision of our sin, and that we would have a clear vision of the urgency of the hour and the day that we live. May we be busy doing the work that You've called us to do. Lord, if there's someone in this room today that does not know if they were to die right now that they would go to heaven, I pray that You would allow Your Holy Spirit to convict their heart. And while the message has been primarily for Christians, I pray that through the preaching of Your Word they will have seen that they need a Savior today. They need to put their faith and their trust in You. And Lord, if that's the case, I pray that they would come forward and let us take the Bible and show them how they can be saved For Christians that are here, Lord, I pray that You would help to open our eyes. Give us clear focus and clear vision on these areas. We would understand these things in a new light. That there would be a freshness of them in our hearts as we work and live from day to day to serve You. Bless the invitation, Lord, and use it as You would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have Miss Evelyn play. A verse or two of invitation, if God has spoken to your heart, perhaps you'd come.
Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. Thank you for the time that you've allowed us to spend together around your word. Father, what a joy it has been. <clears throat> Yet how convicting many times it seems to be. I pray that you would help to strengthen us. May we be abounding in the work that you've given us to do. May we be steadfast and unmovable. And I pray that you'd help us to have a renewed vision, that our vision would be clear. Dismiss us now with your blessings. Bless the time of food and fellowship. Thank you for providing for us this afternoon that which we'll be eating in just a few moments. Pray that you would bless both the food and those that have prepared it so graciously. Dismiss us with your blessings. And we pray that you'll help us to honor and glorify you throughout the rest of this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.